All right, David Roberts uh, from the Volts Substack. I'm Matthew Iglesias from Slow Boring. We are trying an experiment in podcasting together here. Uh, I hope I hope it's good. Uh, I I always hope for the best, uh, but mostly I want to try new things. Um, so we had some slightly unexpected to me climate and energy news coming together this week, as I guess it turned out that the omnibus appropriations bill that was attached to the coronavirus relief bill also has attached to it some pretty significant uh, energy and environmental legislation. Is that is that about right? Yes, it has. Uh, the omnibus bill has everything in it. Uh, <laughs> apparently, everything that everyone in Congress was working on. And uh, among that is a pretty uh, substantial uh, uh, energy bill on its own. So I will, I'll explain, I guess, you know, what an omnibus is. Congress in theory is supposed to move a series of different appropriations bills, like one for each committee. Uh, so there's like an HHS bill, there's a labor and commerce bill, and then they, they would pass those at the end of the year. And that's how things get funded. It's been a long time since that official process actually happened. Instead, Congress has tended to do what they call an omnibus bill, where they fold together different appropriations measures. This year's omnibus is like super omni, because in addition to funding, there's just like a lot of stuff, um, legislating in an appropriation bill, they call it, which is sort of a process no-no, but it's happening anyway. So like, for example, we're going to ban hydrofluorocarbons. Yeah, it's almost, I I said this in my newsletter today, it's almost like beneath the dysfunction on the surface of Congress, the sort of partisan dysfunction that everybody's very familiar with, there's still processes going on in Congress. There are still committees meeting and gathering testimony and putting plans together. There's still sort of like the nuts and bolts and mechanics of legislating happening. It just never carries through <laughs> to actual legislation. So for instance, the the energy bill in question, as I as I lay out today, this bill traces back, I think the original form of it was in 2015 when uh, Cantwell Maria Cantwell was the was the um, chair of the Senate ENR committee working with Murkowski. And so there was a version introduced in 2015. And this is like bipartisan energy legislation that like both sides have been working on in committees in both the House and Senate. And they get it all ready to go. And, you know, it gets voted through both committees. And it's like it could pass if it ever got to a vote. It just never gets to a vote. So because McConnell is uh, terrible. So the first version was introduced in 2015. Then there's another version in 2017. In this latest version, now uh, Joe Manchin is is ranking member on the Senate ENR committee and Murkowski's chair. And so now they have a version of this same bill that they've been working on all year. And all, you know, <laughs> same thing happened this year. Like, it got approved. Everybody signed on to it. Everybody liked it. It was ready to go, but it just never came to a vote. They, these things just don't ever come to votes. So the point being, that's over five years of accumulated deal making that's been going on in the bowels of Congress um, that's all ready. <laughs> so it just all got dumped into this omnibus bill, which is really an insane way to 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 run a railroad. It's an insane way to... <laughs> 
to do things. I mean, it's, it's insane in that no one can possibly review all this stuff, but, but at least in terms of the energy uh, portions, this stuff has been hashed out to a fairly well over a long time. So well, and I, think, um, I think that's an yeah. important point because some people will be like 6,000 pages. Nobody can read that. Um, and of course they can't. Um, and, you know, they, they have like a day uh, to, to review this before they have to decide on the vote. But it is important. Two hours the house got, I think. <laughs> right. But, but all of these 6,000 pages, right, they're copy and pasted from other yeah. things that have been worked on. So well, at least we, we in, assume and think, right? I mean, <laughs> probably. I mean, it'll come out. I think they, they mostly have. So like this energy thing, though, to your point, right? At least the energy committees had been working on this legislation across multiple iterations, literally for years. So you were being asked, I think, to an extent as a backbench house member to defer to some of your colleagues. But it's yes. it's genuinely not like, Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell just did this all overnight, Uh, but it is sprung on the public, right? So this is, I've decided I'm going to call this secret Congress. Um, And it's that (laughs) members of Congress try to get you to pay attention to their weird shitposting against each other. Um, And they often, when they are actually doing something, try to not get you to pay a lot of attention to it. Like at no point during this process was Joe Manchin like on Twitter, like owning his enemies and talking about how he was going to get this energy yeah. bill done, right? Like that's that's not how it works, right? Like all the stuff you see in Congress, like the visible Congress, that's like where the legislating is not happening, right? That's like yeah, people the, the, fighting the with each Congress, other. The- the incentives for the visible Congress are entirely inscribed by media, by right-wing media. Uh, they have to be seen, you know, battling with no quarter. But, 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 you know, meanwhile, the country goes on, life goes on, and there's real need for legislation, like for Republicans too. It's not, it's just not the case that like Republicans, that all Republicans are like McConnell and they're just content to not legislate anymore, just to make, just to make the Senate into a judge approving (laughs) mechanism. Like there are still constituents, they have constituencies and those constituencies have needs and there are problems in the country. Like there are things out there going on that need uh, work. And that's true even for Republicans. So as you say, this sort of like secret Congress behind the scenes has been doing some very old fashioned, just sort of like horse trading. Like we need all this, you need all this, you know, here's what we can live with. Here's what we, you can live with. And you end up with this bill, this energy bill that's tucked away inside this larger thing is really a, a true artifact of that secret Congress, a true artifact of sort of old school, like this is not a coherent, you know, this is not like one committee or one perspective set down and wrote a bill aimed at a particular goal. There are a bunch of goals. <laughs> there are a bunch of, you know, contrary forces and contrary constituencies. And the bill consequently is just kind of a grab bag of all kinds of things serving all sorts of goals. Some of them sort of mutually contradictory, but this is like, this is the denominator of what everyone could live with. It used to be like 
I think lots of it used to happen lots of times like this at <laughs> congressional <laughs> negotiations, but now it can only happen in secret. Well, and it's fitting for for this time of year because this is what the congressional old timers call a Christmas tree, uh, which is you know a, <laughs> right. piece of, a piece of legislation is moving with enough momentum that it becomes a good opportunity to hang uh, your different ideas onto it, um, and that's a lot of what is going on here, right? So, I mean. You know, when progressive people think about climate change, uh, especially these days, right, the thinking often starts with a target, right? And it's it mm. sort of all goes, it all goes backwards from like the IPCC says we should aim for 1.5 degrees of warming. And then you like back out the calendar, the US role, right? So you're going all down, 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 down from a target, and then you derive sort of specifics from that. Um, this legislation is not that at all, right? Like it's the opposite of that. It is a bunch of components that people wanted, right? So like there's been a wind and energy, uh, a wind and solar production tax credit for a while. It's scheduled to expire. Obviously, the companies that benefit from that want it to be extended. Environmentalists generally agree with them that it should be extended. So like that's in there. Right. Uh, but yeah, but there's, all... there's, there's, there's no like headline. Here's what we're doing. It's like, here's the provision. No. And we and we want to go get it in there. Um, in so a sense, it's interesting. It's, to, it's interesting to look at it because because instead of being backfilled from a sort of like policy goal or, or from an ideology, it's sort of ground up from it's You can sort of read it as uh, evidence of. Like who's who's got pull in Congress? It's sort of it's a very sort of straightforward like who's in their ear, who's in these committees, who's got the juice to sort of like get legislators on their side. So you can read it as kind of an inscription of the current energy power map, <laughs> right? Um, and and you know, so it's a it's a sort of interesting uh, thing. So you have a bunch of tax credits, right? So two years of. Um, tax credits for solar, one year of tax credits for uh, onshore wind, five years for offshore wind. Is that the sort of basic? Yeah, actually, let, let's back up a little bit. I want to do the two yeah. the two sort of um, headline items. As you say, this is mostly all sort of like subheads, but insofar as there are a couple of headline items, one is the is is the thing on HFCs, as you say, hydrofluorocarbons. Used in refrigerants and air conditioners and and such like are extremely potent uh, greenhouse gas, short term greenhouse gases. There's this international, you know, the the Montreal Protocol that that famously sort of cured the ozone hole in popular mythology. It's there's an amendment to the Montreal Protocol called the Kigali Amendment that's about HFCs, about phasing them down. A bunch of countries have signed on. The U.S. has been dithering for years about it, and so, so like what this amounts to is the U.S. find. Yes, then, it's been a need. It's, it's been and it's been a no-brainer. I mean, it's just a, it's a, such a no-brainer. No one's really against it. It's just been used as a chess piece to sort of leverage other things and that's why it's been put off and put off. But so we're going to reduce HFCs by 85% in 15 years. And and if according to the sort of expert calculations, if everyone who's signed on to the Montreal Protocol does this, that alone will prevent a half degree Celsius of warming, which is enormous. Like you will look in vain for any other single policy that does that much. So, so it's just worth saying, it's worth highlighting here and spending a second just saying 
if there was nothing else in this bill but the HFC thing, it would be a very big, it would be one of the biggest climate policy stories of the year. Like in my mind, the HFC thing justifies a lot of the other little turds you find floating in, in this I bill. Mean, like uh, the HFC thing justifies a lot. This is one of these elements of, of secret Congress, you know, that's odd, right? Which is that if somebody had said in March, you know, stood on the floor and said, here, Mr. Speaker, is my legislation to phase out hydrofluorocarbons in the United States. Like, A, it wouldn't have gone anywhere. B, if it had gone somewhere, it would have just gotten picked apart, right? Like, you know, it, it just like it would have been a thing. It's like, oh, AOC, like first she wants to take away her hamburgers. Now she's taking away her precious hydrofluorocarbons uh, because that's I don't know. It's like that's politics, right? And if Trump had for some reason gotten like loudly in favor of it, there would have been some other weird backlash. Like it just but instead now, you know, it in. you know, the right way to put this <clears throat> You know how people used to – you remember these old arguments. Uh, during Obama, people would say like if Obama would just like come out and give the right speech in favor of X or Y, right. like he could push it over the top. And then all these people push back saying, look, the actual political science research shows that if the president weighs in and takes a side, that has the effect of polarizing it and, and, and reducing support. I think what's happened is that principle has just now basically been extended to cover – Everyone, <laughs> any politician right. who, who takes a public stand on an issue de facto polarizes it. So the only way to have a bipartisan agreement on an issue and have it actually pass is to do it almost entirely in secret and just slip it by like this. It's it's, yes, it's for no, nobody diseased nobody as a way of doing democracy. But but then it's weird because it's like so like this is one provision of an energy bill. That's just one thing going on in an omnibus that is also attached to COVID relief. So people aren't going to pay attention. But as you say, 0.5 degrees of warming is an incredible amount of warming. Like that's yeah, a really big it's deal. Um, and I, I was also, you know, I was I was reading um, in some more just Congress focused precincts, you know, the inspiring story of how this happened is that evil American chemical companies are the ones who make the alternative, less destructive chemicals. And so they have been lobbying <laughs> for years uh, to get these things banned, um, you know, and, and they brought, I think, 12 Republicans on board for legislation to ban HFCs, uh, but they didn't have the juice to, like, get this done, right? Like, they, they had the juice to get people to agree that it should be done, but to, like, actually get it done, it just wasn't there. Um, and so it eventually gained momentum by combining with 80 million other things. But there is an important lesson in there, which is that almost everything there's like, you can find, you can find somebody who's making money off of it. Um, and to be clear, like this is good, <laughs> right? Like it's not just a giveaway to the evil yeah. chemical companies, but it's but, not, not. But, but another way to look at it is companies. another way to look at it is it's, it's got virtuous effects. It's good for the American economy because it helps American businesses who have fully developed alternatives to these bad chemicals. So there's no really, the cost's not going to go up. There's no one who loses. <clears throat> it's just like all winners and no losers. And even in that context, <laughs> like literally <clears throat> even a bill with all positive effects and no negative effects. And it's like a, a climate win, et cetera, et cetera. Even that can't get done 
in today's Congress. So th- that's the other way of looking at it is just like, if you can't do this, right, you really can't do anything. Like if that can't pass as a standalone bill, it's just like nothing's virtuous enough to, Such a down- to pass. But okay, let me, so what, let me what go to the second. Yeah. Yeah. The second headline is the tax credits. So, you know, for a long time, clean energy industries in the U.S. have been have been dependent on, helped by these tax credits. <clears throat> and there's um, a bunch of them. And so it's sort of a little bit interesting to look at which one. And they're, and they're constantly <laughs> they're constantly about to sunset. And then at the last minute, Congress rides in and extends them like one or two more years. And then one or two years later, there's another they almost sunset and there's another crisis. And it's just like an utterly absurd way to run these, public these policy ones, because we're, we're these are talk about, decisions. This is a subset of a, of a larger set of things that are called the business tax extenders. Um, and they're, so we're going to talk about the energy ones because that's what's in the bill. Uh, but there's like a whole bunch of these uh, tax credits for businesses, which are a way to do subsidies. And they are always- Yeah, it's a way to do industrial policy that's buried, right? It's just buried in the tax code. So most people don't pay attention to it. And so you can get away with more or less anything. So, but it's interesting. There's a whole bunch of these- To expire. um, (laughs) Yes. To games the CBO in some obscure way, even though nobody cares and the CBO can't actually stop you from extending them. So they always get extended again, (laughs) but they, but they they create, so that's why they're called the tax extenders. The way you know they're going to be. Well, these were uncertain. These were, I mean, no one knew whether these were going to, it was uncertain whether these tax extenders were going to make it into this bill up until, uh, pretty pretty late in the game and there's a bunch of these tax extenders and it's kind of interesting to see which ones got how much extended and which ones didn't so like yeah, itc so who, who, which who mostly used it? by solar right the itc mostly used by solar got one more year because it had actually <clears throat> been bumped a year a year ago <laughs> and then the ptc the production tax credit which is mostly used by wind um got bumped for two years is there a then reason this that special... one is mostly wind and one is mostly solar uh solar is mostly about capital investment and the production tax credit pays you for production of power and wind is more steadily and produces more power there's no there, there's no nothing preventing the one from indulging in the other but that's just how it usually works out but this uh-huh. offshore wind credit Got five years for reasons that are mysterious to everyone. I mean, it's great. Like offshore wind is great. And I think offshore wind is something that's sort of like slightly safe bipartisan ground these days. I think everybody kind of loves uh, uh, everybody. I don't know about loves it, but everybody's sort of okay with offshore wind because there's a lot of it off of red states, too. So that got five years. Interestingly, um, the 45Q tax credits for carbon capture were oh, extended yeah. and, and the rhodium group this this uh, research group did an analysis an analysis of the hfc part and the and the uh, carbon credit carbon capture tax credit parts and and concluded that those are the two biggest emission reducers in the bill hfcs and these particular carbon capture credits so it, this is an interesting it's an interesting thing to talk about because it's so, where so I the, think the, the preferences capture, of, the, of the left clash with 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 the math. So the the, but, the carbon capture just, is, is a little bit controversial. Okay, yeah, let's let's. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we'll get back to that. But just the other thing to say about the tax credits is that EVs, the EV tax credit, the electric vehicle tax credit, did not 
get extended. So there's like a whole separate political dynamic around EVs that's going on that is gumming it up and is preventing it from being part of this secret Congress uh, uh, bipartisan accord. So yeah, that's the tax credits. And the carbon capture ones are controversial. And there's a bunch of research money for a bunch of bunch of different things they call it rdd and ca research uh, <laughs> development research and development and commercial application commercial application right so there's a bunch of money in the bill for a bunch for rdd and ca in a bunch of different areas but the bulk of the money goes to um carbon capture and utilization and advanced nuclear so that's why um there are several left uh, climate groups that have opposed, they opposed this bill when it was just in the Senate, the Murkowski mansion bill. And they, and they, I don't know that they've reiterated that, but I assume they opposed this omnibus bill for the same reason. Cause they view that as sort of like subsidies going to bad things that affect their communities. And so it's an interesting political dynamic there as well. Yeah, so if you if you look at the math, it's 4.1 billion for renewables and 2.9 billion for ARPA E, uh which which I guess is the Which is great by the way, we should say. Right. Um but there's 6.6 billion for advanced nuclear, uh 4.7 billion for fusion, um and 6.2 billion for for CCUS. So this is kind of like um it's like a own the libs approach to zero carbon electricity <laughs> is what has been to, preferred. To climate, here. Yes, that's yeah, that's what, uh, and it just goes to reflect the fact that, and this is a this is an asymmetry that has haunted climate politics forever, which is that the right is united, <laughs> right? We hate everything libs love, and and uh, and our our fuels are fossil fuels and nuclear, but the but the left. You know, there's a bunch of Democrats from fossil fuel states who are big on sort of like keeping coal and natural gas going or need carbon capture for jobs or who have nuclear plants in their state. So the left, the Dems are not unified. So if you just sort of like average out, as we say, if you're just doing these behind the scenes negotiations and you just average everything out, you know, fossil fuels and nuclear are going to come out ahead of clean energy still because clean energy has like one half of one party behind it in defense of this prioritization though right i mean solar at this point is a fairly um mature technology actually and the and the tax credits you know mean that it will continue to be profitable to do solar deployments um so i mean it's not it's it's not like this bill is like the death knell for clean energy growth right i mean you would expect it no, to no. Impact, and continue money for renewables is good um, four point you know, one billion dollars is nothing to sniff at. I mean, uh, people have a lot of strong feelings about whether or not money spent on advanced nuclear research will ever amount to anything. Um, but it doesn't really hurt. I don't get the nuclear. The nuclear fight in general is much more heat than light. You know, and I've written about this before. I sort of like. Everyone agrees at this point that the existing nuclear plants that are running safely should be kept open. I think even like AOC has come around on that. I think that's more or less a consensus position. Nobody really, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily love them. And they, and there are some, you know, uh, pollution issues and uranium mining pollution issues that are 
are very real, but sort of like, you know, if climate is existential, that's a bunch of clean energy that's or carbon free energy that's running right now. So that's not super controversial. No one, I think, wants to build a bunch more of the existing um, models. Well, not nobody. Few people want to build more of the existing sort of reactor designs that we're using right now because every single time we try it, it's just a massive, spectacular financial disaster. And everybody more or less is like, oh, if you can build small, modular nuclear plants that don't produce any waste and you can put them in your backyard and et cetera, et cetera, fine. Yeah, let's research that. So, like, what are we arguing about? Everyone more or less agrees about all three of those pieces. Like, what is the. I don't understand the controversy and I don't understand why these left groups are opposing if if it was plowing money into the existing nuclear industry who are trying to spend to build their existing white whale plants that I could see opposing but money spent researching advanced nuclear just seems fine like maybe not in the proportions that are in this bill I would prefer much more research going into in, into other things but like if we found a way to do clean, small nuclear power, that would be great. Like, I don't, why would you not want that? <laughs> I just, I just well, also, the whole I mean, nuclear I, confuses me. I guess the main thing I would say to, you know, left skeptics about this, this advanced nuclear money is that, you know, it, it's, it's Congress, right? Like it, you, if it's not correct to think of this as there is a fixed pool of energy research dollars and the money that goes yeah. to advanced nuclear comes out of renewables. Like the default amount is zero. And so then the question is, is like what unlocks a congressional coalition that can pass a bill, right? Like, I don't know if like Mitt Romney may well be overrating advanced nuclear, uh, but if it, if to the extent that there are Republicans who are sufficiently excited about advanced nuclear research, that putting money into it makes them want to vote for a bill that like has all this other stuff in it. Like that's sort of what you, you kind yeah, of have to be in thing. the room like, it's where not it great And it's not what I would do. <laughs> right. If you can, if it can get you the votes, it's not a huge, it's not like a, a big sacrifice or anything and this where, is the, where I think we there's the a, there's another issue where I think oh, yeah. the left is on, on is on better grounds, which is there's a bunch of money in here for advanced fossil fuel research, which are just a bunch of different a bunch of different cockamamie schemes for basically marginally reducing the the greenhouse gas emissions from fossil fuel plants. So like gasifying coal before you burn it, or you know more efficient uh, natural gas turbines, all these things like that's. That's like nickel and dime stuff that's going to have to go away in a in, in in a low carbon world. So that arguably is is wasted money, especially at the levels they have it. But that's just again a reflection of like a, a whole bunch of members of Congress live in districts or jurisdictions where there are big fossil fuel facilities that produce a lot of jobs, and they're just not going to come along unless you pork throw some pork at that. That I think is a much more common sense grounds for opposition if you're going to oppose something than than the advanced nuclear stuff right and i mean i was just gonna say like this is the the downside to secret congress is that it's difficult as an outsider to say what actually is going on as like yes, or why gasification occurs right now the like the generous estimation of it is that like joe manchin is trying to get this bill done, which is actually a good bill that does a lot of really helpful stuff on climate change. And he's also trying to represent West Virginia, 
in the fucking United States Senate. <laughs> so he's like, yes. guys, like you got to give me something to take home. And if what he has to take home is coal gasification research money, like more power to it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. The, the ungenerous view is that he's like a fanatic, right? Who's like the future. Everyone is going to be turning coal into gas, right? And like, this is the end. And, well, and, like, and like, that's not it, right. It, it, you know? does highlight, it does highlight an interesting question, though. I mean, it's a legitimate question, which is that these lawmakers in these states with, with old, dirty fossil fuel facilities, right now, uh, all the Republicans and at least some of the Democrats are telling their constituents um, the libs are wrong. Fossil fuels are going to live for a long time. We're going to figure out how to make them cleaner. Like we're going to figure out how to bury their carbon. Like, don't worry. We're not going to let this go away. And that's just a lie. They are definitely going away on some time horizon. Like you are bullshitting your constituents when you say that. And, and, and Joe Manchin says a lot of that kind of stuff, which is, you know, bullshitting. And there's an argument to be made at least that like someone ought to tell these people the truth so that they can prepare like what you see happening in Wyoming now, like Wyoming lawmakers have been bullshitting Wyomingans about coal's ongoing um, robust health for, for years. And now coal's dying. Mines are shutting down. Power plants are shutting down and Wyoming is totally unprepared. They have no money to clean up these sites. They have no money for their municipal budgets like they're just they're these companies are going bankrupt and like offloading pension and healthcare obligations so like retired miners are getting screwed just like the entire state of Wyoming is getting screwed because they didn't prepare and every fossil fuel state more or less is trundling toward that eventual outcome so you know M- mansion probably knows better than we do how much he can get away with saying that stuff and still get elected but like arguably somebody really ought to be telling these people in these states, the truth, because otherwise they're just going to get caught flat-footed. Well, we can do it. I, I would strongly encourage you. Uh, yes, I'm sure they're listening to us. The, the Republicans in these states to tell the truth. I think Joe Manchin and John Tester should probably keep bullshitting. Um, yeah, well, it's it's just know. a it's a political question. When do you pivot from the bullshit, and how and how much? Like, I mean, I think what Manchin probably views himself as doing is trying to get a bunch of stuff going through secret Congress that will sort of implicitly prepare West Virginia for this without ever having to say publicly. But just to just a one more hit on this secret Congress thing is is you're you're exactly right. Like, no one in the public can know exactly what's going on and why, and so you end up with things like. They're like, to me, one of the most virtuous, low hanging fruit, obvious moves to take is to electrify school buses. I mean, it's it's just like healthier kids, quieter, like there's just no, there are no downsides if the federal money could just pump some money into this. But efforts that were in democratic bills to spend a bunch of money electrifying nation's school buses got almost completely stripped out. So somewhere there's like, Someone, there's some, like, where the school buses get manufactured is an issue. Like, someone somewhere in secret Congress has has a beef with electric school buses, but we don't know what. We can't argue with them. We can't call it out and see what the public thinks about it because it's all just, like, getting digested in the bowels of Congress. So you just end up with this weird result, this bill that, like, does a bunch of super random things but doesn't do one of the most obvious things things that everybody wants and like why no one knows it's also possible that we could get electric school buses in the education bill reauthorization which is scheduled to happen next year perhaps it's just a it's just a a matter of uh a matter of money 
No, but so the I mean the authors of this bill, right? They appear to not like um the transportation sector. Right. Like there's no EV tax credit. There's no electric school buses. Right. Like these are it's it's Manchin and Lisa Murkowski. It's like these are like it's the energy bill. These are energy senators. Um, And even though, you know, you as a logical person who understands how the different parts of the energy system connect, see that, you know, transferring uh personal transportation off of liquid fuels onto electricity is an important part of energy policy. It doesn't seem to be of interest to the authors of this I, legislation. I don't, I don't know if it's as much of a policy thing. I don't know if it's as much as like they don't get the policy as there are dynamics around the transition from ICE vehicles to AVs that are too complicated and fraught to make it through secret Congress, basically. Like the oil companies hate it. The unions don't necessarily like it because um, the fact is there there aren't as many jobs building EVs. And crucially, like once EVs are built, they require much less maintenance. So there's just fewer jobs in the whole sort of auto supply chain. And plus there's this question of if you're building EV infrastructure, is that like publicly owned? Is it public private? Is it fast charging? Is it normal charging? Do you do it along highway corridors? Like there is some money in the bill for EV fast chargers along highway corridors, which is sort of like the way you think about it. If you don't know anything about the EV sector, you're like, oh, we just need to replace gas stations for long trips. But that's not really like how EVs get used. So there's just like, I think that issue is just not like cooked up enough to 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 be a matter of of consensus in secret Congress, that's going to kind of have to get hashed out. I mean, the, the union thing seems important though, because you know, as you were saying, right? It's like for Democrats to get stuff into a secret Congress process, they have to really want it, right? Like that's you know, that's a necessary but not sufficient condition. And you know, so like Tesla, right, is the most famous EV company. I think the most successful one. Um, they, I believe, are not uh, using union auto workers in the Midwest. Um, and so, while you know, if you if you ask Gary Peters or whomever about electric vehicles, he's like, he's all for it, right? Like, we're gonna we're gonna build them here, and it's gonna be amazing. But like in a practical sense, right? Like American union auto plants are churning out a lot of Ford F one fifties, and it's like not. I mean, every car company in the world like thinks that they will be making and selling electric vehicles in the future, but they have very different levels of enthusiasm about that future. Yes, and Ford in particular is is terrible. Right, Ford so, in particular is particularly uh, bad on this, and it and, and we should. Uh, as long as we're discussing unions, another big piece that's worth discussing in this is in the original Democratic versions of this bill, there were Davis-Bacon provisions covering all the spending in the bill, which means that in order to receive these monies, any of these monies, your project has to pay prevailing wages. And that was obviously pro-union and very supported by unions. Republicans threw a fit about that and and House Republicans basically just said, absolutely not. We're not voting for a bill that has that in there. So they 
that's one of the red lines for for Republicans. So what happened instead is you have Davis Bacon protections on a kind of subset of the spending, which is which is not bad. It's solar and wind and the and the and the carbon capture research. So those jobs are going to be good. But then I see like unions coming out furious about this and blaming lawmakers in Washington, bl- blaming the process, the stupid process in Washington. It just is like, once again, maddening to me and in in the way everything's maddening to me is like, dudes, one of the parties hates you and strips your shit out and like, sure you can critique the Dems on how hard they fight for it and how much they get in and like, sure critique the Dems, but can we at least like keep our focus on the people who hate you and are fighting everything you want to do? How is it helping you to just condemn Washington? I mean, this is, there's a fascinating, uh, Thing, you know, part of the Trump era political shift is that the building trade unions, who have always been more conservative than oh, you know almost any other union, um, they have become very conservative on a rank and file level. Their their leadership is substantially less conservative than the members uh, because the leadership is aware that if Republicans had you know, absolute power, they would just like get rid of labor unions as institutions. But like, they have not been able to sell their members on that idea, right? So they're now walking this ginger line where like Democrats are trying to make a huge giveaway to them in the energy bill. Republicans are making Democrats not do that. And then the union leaders are complaining sort of ineffectually uh, because they I think feel insecure. Like, I don't think they believe that if they went to their own members and were like, look, Donald Trump, who you love is fucking us. Like, (laughs) I don't, I don't, I don't think they think that they would be believed. Right. I don't think they think that their members would choose them over. Yes. This is, this goes to show that union unions have become a thinner identity than partisan identity. Like, like everything else. Like, like literally everything else, partisan identity is the sort of stacked ultimate mega identity. And, and, and if your union, your identity as a union member contradicts that, it's just not powerful enough to overrule the rest of it. Which and is, then Democrats, you know, you know co- 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 contemporary Democrats these days on a policy level are like very bought in, right? Like they they did fight for these Davis-Bacon provisions. It's in Biden's plan. It's in any like Democratic plan I've seen from from like the loopiest version of a Green New Deal to the most centrist, you know, environmental policy. Everyone's yeah. like, yeah, like we got those good union jobs. But like today's Democratic people don't have a lot um, of like – natural affinity i think with the kind of people who do these construction jobs right like it doesn't it it doesn't align and so like you can tell people like this is what the policy is like this is what your partisan identity ought to be but like nobody right. nobody believes it you know on a on, on that well kind this of is level. this is interesting this this actually hooks into a broader point i i have been wanting to make about the green new deal and it's germane to this bill i think too which is that on the sort of spirit of the Green New Deal, you know, there is no official Green New Deal as a policy. There's just this there's just this uh, resolution and then a bunch of different policy plans from different areas. But sort of the, the spirit of the Green New Deal is we need to unify all of the factions of the left if we're going to have the power to overcome the right, basically. And that includes these 
union guys. It includes a lot of sort of, uh, uh, um, and, and you know, and like service workers and like all these, all these uh, constituencies that were not traditionally necessarily aligned with sort of lefty environmentalists. And so on a policy level, like on a sort of big spiritual sort of overall level, this ought to be immensely um, attractive to rural people. Like there's a shit shitload of focus on rural redevelopment and like saving farmers and like saving and, and finding work for unions and making more work for unions and unionizing all the work of the clean energy economy. And just like on, on policy and substantive levels, this ought to be bringing together this broad array of, of constituencies. The problem is as as we know, politics is not really about the substance, and it's not really about like the reality of the policies. And it's basically the Green New Deal has been talked about by and owned by a faction of the green kind of socialist left, and naturally they talk about it in a way that appeals to people like them. They talk about the the, the aspects of it that appeal. To them, the sort of grandiose reductions and you know saving the world from this and making more justice, you know, for for beleaguered uh, communities on the front lines, all this kind of stuff that appeals to green lefties, which is fine. But like, there's nobody talking about the substance of the Green New Deal in a way that will, re- you know, who is from these communities they're trying to reach, and in a way that will resonate with these communities they're trying to reach. And that, to me, is the great tragedy of the Green New Deal, is that, like, so much of the critique of green, lefty green policy is answered by the Green New Deal. It's just there's no one making that case. So, like, unions aren't hearing it. They aren't hearing that the whole policy orientation of the green left at this point is it wildly pro-union like there's pro-union stuff in every bill that every you know nonprofit and congressional committee on the left has has come up with there's just no it turns out spokespeople matter and like who's talking about it matters more than just are you aligned with the cultural i mean like we have jobs yes well we used to we used to have jobs um you know you just like a person with the jobs i Political and personal identity is not necessarily a hundred percent bound up with like what is best for them, you know, in a, in a dollars totally. and cents kind of way. People have totally. cultural cultural attitudes and cultural values, and the people, you know, like the people who run the Twitter accounts for environmental groups, um, just like don't have necessarily that much in common culturally speaking, with the people who do construction jobs in the United States of America, which is not a policy conversation like at all, but you know, yes. it, it's, it matters yes. politically, right? Um, you know, who's, and it's who's hard. What? That's really hard. Like it's, it, it's almost the easier part to accommodate the, the policy and substantive needs of these communities. Like I, I think that's been done. It's turns out to just be much harder to find good spokespeople who are embedded in those communities and can speak, you know, coherently and eloquently about why something like the Green New Deal is good for those communities. Like you can blame, I think, 
you know, the Sunrise Movement and AOC and all these, you can blame them for not doing more advanced work to try to find those spokespeople. I think they probably should have and probably think they should have, but it's not easy to do. And it's not clear that it would necessarily be successful if you tried. It's just, that's really hard. And that I think brings us back to Secret Congress, right? Which is that (laughs) part of why Secret Congress works is that if you are just sitting around a conference room table and you're swapping things, right? Like you can make, progress on that front, right? Like you can say like, fine, have $3 billion more for carbon capture if you give me my ARPA-E money, right? And like you can just make a deal, right? Which is different from making a public presentation of like, this is what we're all about, right? Because you ask like Lisa Murkowski plus Joe Manchin plus um, Maria Cantwell, whoever else, it's like, what are they all about collectively? And like nothing. Right, like they are all about very different things. They have different oh, political innovation identities. and m- moving forward, and and uh, no, but I mean to, to, the, to, to the extent that there's anything at all, right? It, it is true that both Lisa Murkowski and Joe Manchin, for different reasons, are invested in having political identities as people who get deals done, right? And like that is what they have done here. There is a deal and it is done, right? But like there was not yeah. a lot of talk as it was happening because like the more you talk, the more it does become about that like do does everything harmonize with like a very polarized society? Whereas if you're doing deals in secret, like you're just swapping and you're doing text and it's it's the way it's the way they want the Green New Deal to work, right? Is you say like, hey, hard hats, yeah. like here's a concession to you. And then they say, great, I love my concession. <laughs> like, I, I got what I wanted. And, like, Secret Congress right. has that logic, right? Where, like, you get your concessions and, and on you go. Um, uh, although, they, I mean, they, they didn't happen to, to deliver um, fully for, for the building trades here. But that maybe shows they should try to get a little more on board with somebody or other. Um, okay, yeah, so we, you we just go- can't do that secret Congress stuff in, in public. Oh, I do want to make one point about this though, that, that, that slightly pushes back. And I think is worth noting. It's true that there, that this is not a coherent bill. <laughs> it's true that it's not all sort of harmonized around one or a couple of aims. However, it is worth noticing that there are, you know, 70 senators put their priorities in this bill and more or less signed off on it. And and it is the case that almost all of the energy provisions of the bill, most of the energy provisions of the bill are explicitly or implicitly about transitioning to clean energy because of climate change. So it's sort of like, you know, it's not, it, it, it's, it's right. like in secret Congress, they know about climate change. In secret Congress, they know about it and accept it and know they have to do something about it. They just can't say so in public. But that's 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 notable to me. Right. I mean, so it's you've got a couple dozen Republican senators who will vote for a bill that does, it does all the stuff we talked about. It's also got there's hydroelectric upgrades. There's stuff about making it easier to do renewables so many on things. public land. There's geothermal. Uh, there's there's a bunch of grid stuff. I don't understand the grid, but it's important. Um, there's this there's this FERC thing you wrote about. I mean, this is like super in the weeds, right? But they are going to let FERC higher technical experts on a higher pay scale than the normal civil service pay scale. And that's like, 
it's not the biggest deal in the world, but it is so easy to demagogue. Like they want higher pay for government bureaucrats. <laughs> yeah, like, right. You know, so it's that's a real gesture of good faith, right? Like that's the that's what you do when you really do, in fact, want the agency to perform its mission better and are like not looking yes. to BS people, right? So you have several dozen, two dozen Republican senators at least who like they will vote for this bill, which is it's a decarbonization bill. Like there's no the bill doesn't make yeah. any sense. Unless you believe that the United States needs to reduce <laughs> greenhouse gas emissions. Because um, yes, otherwise, right. it's just a lot of wasted money and higher pay for bureaucrats. But you are never going to get those two dozen senators to come up like, say, kumbaya, the environmentalists were right all along. And by the same token, like the lefty environmental groups, for better or worse, are like not going to say like – fuck it, we love billions of dollars in nuclear energy research. Like, you know what I mean? Like, people are just a little, but, but a little dug on right, in on their top-line messages. Unlike on the right, the left, like, the, big, for the, the <laughs> big money, the big money left environmental groups, the sort of establishment left groups, are willing to say, this is a compromise bill. There's some good stuff in it. There's some bad stuff in it. It makes progress. We like secret Congress. We approve of its results. Like there's just no one on the right who can say that publicly now anymore at all. Like on the left, there's still some weird public constituency for the idea of compromising and legislating and moving forward. But on the right, you can only do it in secret. Yeah. Liberals love compromise. I mean, that's the old, the old joke, but I mean, you see it in polls, right? So it's like, Yes, they genuinely I, I, do. I, I think I'm. I think I'm actually part of the problem here. <laughs> That's right. I think, you love I think compromise I'm, too. I, yeah, I mean, I think like I'm not sure exactly what I think the best energy policy would be, um, but I think it's good to have an energy policy that moves in this direction and that does what needs to be done to get through Congress. Um, so basically, I'm excited. It, and I'm one thing to add, about too, I want to add, add one other thing. Yeah, well, speaking of that, I just want to add, because I think one of the things, one of the premises of the left groups opposing this energy bill back when it was a freestanding thing is let's not accept a bill that's full of junk we don't like. <clears throat> let's wait until Biden's president and then get better stuff. And I just want to, I don't know if they really believe that, but I just want to make it as clear as humanly possible. Like the legislative environment is going to get worse, not better next year. I mean, most likely people hate it when I say this out loud, but most likely Dimmons are not going to win these two Georgia runoff seats. Maybe they'll win one. They're probably not going to win both, which means Mitch McConnell is going to be in charge of the Senate. And furthermore, Murkowski, the deal maker, the, the secret Congress lover is going to be gone. And John Barrasso is going to take over the, um, the Senate ENR committee. And he is terrible. He's like an old school climate denying fossil fuel loving, horrible person. So there's going to be no deals. There's going to be nobody open to deals next year. And there's going to be no energy legislation next year. Like things are going to get worse legislatively next year. This was, this really was a last shot for a while, a last for a while. We pray for John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. 
They're going <laughs> to sure, deliver us. Okay. They're going to deliver us, Dave. Okay. Um, okay. But, even, but even if we have 50, like, you know, even if we have 50, like, still, you have the you have the filibuster, which Manchin loves and wants oh, to sure. keep. So you got, what, extend, a reconciliation we're, bill? Oh, we're going to extend the tax credits and a reconciliation bill. We're going to make them bigger. We're going to make them awesome. It's going to be great. <laughs> yes. John Ossoff, Raphael yeah, Warnock. Maybe. All right, I think we we probably got on got on long enough here for our unedited podcast. I'm gonna I'm gonna put this drum thing in there just because I can. Ooh, sweet! <laughs> nice. All right, and uh, <laughs> well, this has been fun. We should we should do some more some more low end podcasts in the future. Uh, but uh, yeah, maybe a reader, there, maybe like a, a a a kind reader will will write us a little some intro music and we can professionalize this this thing yeah if we had intro music we could have a name there's there's a lot of ways we could iterate on this uh but this is not secret congress this is very public audio so there we go 